hello again. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on Talking Round North Cyprus. Hope you're all keeping safe and well and um, sane. That's the right thing. <laughs> um, so uh, let's find out straight away how things are over in the Turkish Republic of North Cyprus right now. Say good morning to my sidekick, Roger Barra. Hello, Roger. How are you? How are things over there? Looking sunny uh, for a change? <laughs> hello everybody and yes hello to you Sarah yeah it's uh, eight o'clock in the morning here and the sun is out and very little has changed in terms of our restrictions here we still have an all-day curfew on a Sunday and that looks set to continue maybe on Friday the government authorities will meet and make their decision but at the moment we're still getting around 50 new positive cases of COVID-19 every day on average so although it's not getting worse, it still isn't getting better. So my mm -hmm. opinion is things will probably stay the same. We're, we're virtually back to normal. Restaurants, as long as they're no more than a third full, you can actually go inside now and have a meal. The bars are, are, are open and most people can leave a reasonably normal life. But Sunday, an absolute no-no. Strict curfew from Saturday night to Monday morning. And still the threat that if cases get worse we might have Saturday as a full curfew as well mm. but basically nothing's changed. It's good to hear they're on top of it that's the main thing and just sort of keeping an eye like they are everywhere in the world and of course a big few days for the future of North Cyprus um, all eyes on Geneva at the moment Roger with the uh, the talks that are going on there at the UN I mean that's uh, uh, that's interesting I see the Greek Cypriots have already probably put the thumbs down. Well it first of all it's unofficial uh, this it's the UN hosting yeah Greek Cypriot and Turkish Cypriot leaders plus a representative for the three guarantor countries, Turkey, Greece and the UK. They're calling it five plus one. Now, the whole point of this is just for exploratory talks to see if there's any common ground to proceed with official uh, negotiations at a later date. And guess what? So far, there's none and, and, and very few people thought there would be. Of course, there's a different take now from the Turkish Cypriot side. The new president, Tatar, is going for a two-state solution, which is very different be than before. Of course, the Greeks and indeed many other countries just see Tatar as being totally aligned to Erdogan in Turkey, who, as you know, is not the most popular leader mm. uh, in the world at, at the moment. And uh, frankly, I'm talking to expats and it'll be very interesting to hear what our guest has to say about this in a few minutes. But from, from my point of view, it's just another stalemate. And you wonder whether there'll ever be, certainly in our lifetime, whether there'll be any progress. At the moment, talks about talks seem to be going nowhere. But Tatar is determined to carry on, he says, whatever the outcome of this particular meeting. Well, good on him for coming up with a different solution for trying to sort of think a little bit outside the box and, you know, come up with something different um, that, that that might work. And to be honest, it's been working as two states, hasn't it? I mean, all the Turkish Cypriot side would like is a bit more recognition. Well, a lot more recognition. It is two states. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. Sarah, nobody's killing each other at the moment. You know, there's no communal violence. Mm. Nobody's living in enclaves like, like happened in the early 70s. All North, North Cypriots want is a bit of recognition yeah. and the right to be able to Participate be in like sports, the South. And, yeah, and do everything. Uh, absolutely. And, mm. and as our guest, uh, journalist Elton Halil, said a few weeks ago on this podcast, you know, the biggest mistake of the past may have been the European Union welcoming 
the Greek side of Cyprus into the EU with there being no settlement at all in Cyprus. Mm. Looking back, the most extraordinary decision anyway. We'll have to see what happens. Yes, yes, lots to talk about there. So let's get on with our latest podcast. It follows on quite nicely, actually, from the one we did last week with the lovely Kate from Ian Smith Estates, um, uh, from the estate agents. Uh, She um, covered a whole lot of subjects about buying property, but for a wide range of subjects relevant to the law in North Cyprus, which we're sure you will find very helpful, Helpful. and someone, um, Roger, who lives fairly close to you on the East Coast there. Yeah, indeed she does. In fact, in the very next development, our guest today practised law over in the UK for some while, but now in the TRNC, she's founded the Expats Consultancy Service. And this was after she discovered most of her friends needed help navigating the legal waters of, let's face it, an unfamiliar new home, And, of course, an unfamiliar country. And why am I telling you all this? Let the lady (laughs) tell us herself. Let's meet Hava Karabayaz. Hava, hi, good morning. Hi, Roger. Hi, Sarah. Thank you very much for inviting me on this bright and sunny morning. Thanks ever so much for, for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. Now, the first thing we always like to know from our guests is how you end up not living next door to Roger Barra, but how you end up in North Cyprus, um, as he always refers to it as paradise. How did you end up there, Hava? Well, my parents are Turkish Cypriot, so I was coming here at a very young age, from about the age of five, um, at least twice a year, all of the summer. So it was something that I was used to from a very young age. And um, that continued when I had children. And then when things started to slow down and I could start taking semi-retirement, etc., I decided to move here. <laughs> and live the dream Roger's paradise indeed I, I love the thought that you actually slowed down because to be honest a bit like Roger it's it's almost like you've revved back up again because um it sounds yeah, like you're it's funny, u- isn't it? <laughs> using all your skills from from your previous life in London to to restart yeah. in in the in uh, North Cyprus it kind of happens I think you know I'm sure that other guests you've had have said similar things and you know from Roger I came over here and the first well when I came back in 2016 to live here I had the intention of retiring completely but within about a year and a half was quite bored. And also there was a need around that was still around from when I'd first started working here in 2007. So I think just one thing leads to another. And before you know, you're working full time, but it keeps me young. It saves me from being bored (laughs) and you meet (laughs) lots of people. So, yeah, it's good. We'll talk about your work um, with your company, but can we just talk briefly about TRNC Law? Because I assume it's really, really different in, in certain ways to what people are used to back in the UK. Yeah, well, what we need to to realise is that actually a lot of the Republic of Cyprus law, as it was back after the Republic was created, was based on UK law. And a lot of the law that both the North and the South still refer to is the Republic of Cyprus laws that have been translated from English to Turkish or English to Greek. So 
a lot of it is very similar to what we're used to in the UK, but obviously things change as time progresses. And obviously the TRMC is a republic in itself now. So lots of case law happens and there is new law that is then created as an addition to, for example, the Companies Act or whatever, which is very similar to the UK. Same with wills and probate. Um, Similar things, but slightly different stance from this country's point of view. So in essence, looking at the law as an English speaking person, it's not difficult because the original law was in English. I do have to say that I'm not authorised to work here as a qualified advocate, as they call it, because I'm not a member of the bar. That was a decision that I took because I didn't want to do litigation court work. So everything I do, I do as a legal consultant. And if I need TRNC bar members, I have team members working with me. So, yeah, most of it is very familiar, but I think that the differences are very different, if you see what I mean. Um, in, in, for example, people think that um, wills are the same as the UK, but they're not. Here you have to be, you have to make a will if you want it to go to your partner, for example, otherwise you're left with intestacy rules that make sure that other members of the family, for instance, the children, get a share. So it is different in a way, but don't want to bore you with that. <laughs> the residence law, of course, is something that um, the, reg the, the latest residence guidance is obviously in addition to the initial Immigration and Aliens Act, as they call it. <laughs> So um, that's something that all expats are familiar with now, I think. Yeah. So, Harva, what's the most common question that people come to you with? What's their main sort of concern? We, the most common things we get are around residency. Um, a lot of the time people don't understand the time factor when they should apply or what they should do if they're not out of the country. So that's often a regular question. And obviously a lot of the expats are retired. A lot of them aren't good at computers, so they don't want to apply online. So it's very much about timeframes and what happens. That's in relation to residents. But what I found more and more in the last four or five months is that we're getting more and more queries about buying property over here and that led me to write the little relocation guide which I send to my newsletter members but yeah and then the other one is wills it's those three that are the big chunky questions but even things as basic as um well where do I go to connect my electricity or how do I get a driving license it's a broad, broad spectrum and once people have found us, they tend to then come back to us for everything. And sadly, because of a lot of, um, a lot of our clients being uh, of retirement age and 80 plus, 
we often have a lot of deaths. So that's something that we've now had to start helping with as well, because it's new to people. Mm. We, we um, sadly had to go to a funeral, the first of our circle of friends, our new circle yeah. of friends that we made here, yes. uh, sadly passed uh, away. We all looked at each other because we we're all roughly the same age. And after, after the burial, we just said, well, we wonder who's next. Oh. So it is very comforting. It's frightening, for... isn't it? <laughs> it is. And uh, as long as it's not you, you have her, because if something happens to our partners, you know, we need that kind of guidance, particularly Thank at a time you. of huge grief uh, and, and personal loss. But can we go back to residency, have her? Because yeah, for many course. people <laughs> over 60, like me and many of my friends over here, a couple of years ago, we were horrified to find out that we all had to have official residency. And I remember you, in your own time, at your own expense, called, called a meeting in our area here at Boaz, just outside is Skelly, and explained what needed doing. And I have to say, yeah. in that first year, it was very third world-like. We were queuing up in a freezing cold uh, Nicosia immigration waiting room at six o'clock in the morning, sometimes earlier, to get our uh, residency. And it was an absolute nightmare for many of us expats. It's true to say, Hava, that in the following year, last year, things improved somewhat in the process. Definitely, definitely. I think going online has made it simpler and more streamlined for people however there is still the issue of people not being okay with computers mm. and that does cause the problem but you know we get through it we charge a very nominal amount to help people and we help right from the beginning right through to the end and that's what we like to do we like to hold people's hands I think when the, letter, the new guidance first came out two years ago, yes, I did do that meeting because there wasn't anything around at the time, particularly in our area, but also because initially the guidance was out, but there was no English version. So if you recall the Facebook site that was inundated with questions, and that's where um, I think a lot of people got to know me because I'd done the free guide. So interesting times and the online system um, keeps improving. So um, hopefully we'll get to the stage where all the little problems that arise are no longer there. And I know that you do a lot, Hava, don't you? You actually go and speak to the authorities. I know you've, I've, you've been down at border posts, haven't you? Sort of trying to find out what's going on. Because as you say, yeah. even, even in Turkish, it's sometimes a bit confusing. So um, what sort of things have you done to try and make things simpler? Well, in the early days, there were a lot of issues around the border. And I was getting phone calls at 12 o'clock at night, three o'clock in the morning, you know, <laughs> saying, help, I'm at the border and I can't come across or, you know, I don't know why they're not letting me through or I don't know what they're saying. People didn't realise that they were give, being given visa stamps, well, visa timeframes, even though it wasn't in their passport or they weren't told. There was a lot of um, confusion uh, on the 
borders between the north and the south. But luckily, because we also work with people in the south, we were able to line a lot of those out, often without having to go, sometimes going as well. But then subsequently, the, the issues really were around, um, A, trying to get into a queue, like Roger said. I mean, initially when we started, people were going, I was going with people at nine o'clock in the morning and we were being seen. And then it got earlier and earlier to the point where expats were queuing at half past five in the morning to be seen. So often in those situations, we would queue instead of them. <laughs> but it's moved on now. And I think the biggest issue that we have these days is people um, being anxious about applying before their visa expires and making the mistake of leaving the country before their residence permit comes through. Because in the old days, if you did that, although the law said you would be fined, the fine wasn't implemented. They've now started implementing it. And that's involved me having to go to immigration, speak to them. Often I, I'm in regular contact with the police headquarters in Nicosia, over fines for people. I'm talking to a number of organisations who are wanting to submit a request for amnesty on the fines. Whether that will happen, I don't know, but that's something that a lot of the charities that work with expats can do, taking information from us who are actually, you know, on the ground experiencing the problems that these people are facing. And the fines are quite astronomical and people are scared to come back because they think, oh, you know, I'm going to be fined God knows how many thousands of pounds. But actually, it's not like that. And I've now explained that in newsletters that have gone out. So hopefully people will start breathing a bit more <laughs> and relaxing. <laughs> I don't suppose that COVID-19 and the travel restrictions have helped because so, so many people are still stuck in the UK not having completed their uh, residency for whatever reason. Um, it's a really difficult time, isn't it, Ava? It's very difficult because people don't know when things are going to change. And that's why I think for people that are listening, I think that I'd like to specify two things in terms of residency. If you, if you were here and you applied for residency and you then left before your permit was through, then you may be in a situation where you will have to pay a fine, but the fine isn't as big as you will expect because it doesn't cover all the time you're away. So they're quite welcome to, to, to ask us queries like that. The other thing is, and we'll tell them roughly what, what the fine will be. Um, so that reassures people. And that's the first thing I want to say. If you have been in that position and you're now back in the UK and you're worried about the fine, please don't be. Let us know and we will give you an indication of how much it will be. And it's not as astronomic as you think, because there's a restriction in terms of the time frame uh, on what you can be charged. So that's the first thing. I don't want people to continue to worry. The second thing is that the um, people who haven't been able to get here, whose um, residence permit expired whilst they were in the UK, are very worried. And we are 
inundated with that question and the one that I've just answered about fines. And again, the answer is, if you left here whilst your residence permit was in existence and you haven't been able to come back and your residence permit has now expired, you must not panic because you are away. You just renew it when you come back. There will be uh, allow you know that there, there is understanding on that. Nobody expects you to continue to do it because you can't apply for residence if you're not in the country. Mm. So mm. that's not your fault. So I don't want people to have sleepless nights because many have had. Hopefully, I've I've clarified that now. <laughs> now we could we could sit here all day and go through all the different subjects that you cover with your company but if we can direct people um to your website we'll do that uh, towards the end but how many people do you now have working with you um or for you um, i mean it must be growing every day every time you get a new subject you must have to reach out to someone that knows and so absolutely you, how's it how's it going yeah Actually, I'm really, really honoured that it's growing as fast as it is. I've got two lovely lawyers that work with me, and they are TRNC bar qualified. One is 20 years post-qualification, the other one's 15. So, obviously, they help a lot. One of them does a lot of the litigation, because we do get things like child abduction. We have you know, unfortunately, because the TRNC isn't um, recognised, parents do come here with their children when they're not supposed to. So we end up in a process. So we have stuff like that. We have cases around surrogacy. So the court stuff we do together, but my colleague goes into court. The convincing is done either by me or um, the other, the lawyer, TRNC lawyer. And then we have a number of freelance how should we call them legal execs or whatever the old term was in the UK our runners who, who run around and do things for us and of course the lovely Meryl who's always in the office dealing with all the calls so we're growing day to day and as I said the burial thing has now um, come up so we're having to look at recruiting somebody to deal with that because a lot of the time it takes up my weekends you know because you can't be sure somebody's gonna die so we we need to have that in place soon so it is growing and um that in itself is quite frightening because I don't want to grow too quick because I want to keep the standards up so yeah you're supposed to be retired (laughs) I am aren't I I think I'm working harder now than I did in the UK as a designer. I'm sure you are. I'm sure, but just think of the good you're doing. I mean, the number of people that rely on you and, and you've filled the gap. Yeah. I mean, you obviously realised yeah. and people realised that, that there wasn't anybody like you there. So you you filled yeah. that, that gap yeah. that they need. Let's talk personally about you. Um, any regrets about moving back to the TRNC full time and all the hassle that no. you're getting now seven days a week? No, Roger, like you, I love it. We live in a beautiful part of the island. Um, The heat is so much better for us and our health and everything else. So I've got no regrets. My only issue is that COVID has meant that I can't see my children who are all in the UK like the rest of us. And that is very difficult at times because like yourselves and many others, 
we're used to being able to fly everywhere and see our family members but no regrets and no plans to leave <laughs> I'm sure everybody's going to be very hit, pleased to uh, to hear that. Just before we go, we've got about five minutes. We talked at the introduction there, Roger and I were chatting just about, you know, the talks in Geneva at the moment. So what's your take on that as a as a you know resident? Well, obviously, because I, I am Turkish Cypriot as well as being British, mm. I, d- I do follow what's happening in the Turkish press. And I think... Often what what's not seen by the expats is the number of Turkish Cypriots and Greek Cypriots that are still fighting for a federal um, solution. And that's quite evident in the number of demonstrations and meetings there's been on both sides the demonstrations asking for a continued federal island which the opposition party still support is very high and that's something that often isn't seen by the expats and I still live in hope that um, we will have some sort of federal solution I can't see a two-state solution being accepted and approved by the UN. But interestingly, what Roger said about the North, the South going into the EU, of course, it was Jack Straw that was Home Secretary at the time. And I don't know if you've followed his interviews recently where he says he very much regrets Mm, that now because um, he saw how rigid the South were and they were. Who knows? I don't hold out much hope of the, the current Geneva talks, but we live in hope for peace and continued peace. And I guess also it brings it to the fore, doesn't it? You know, people are suddenly like, oh, what's what's happening here? People that perhaps haven't haven't yeah. noticed, you know, it yeah. keeps it keeps it in the forefront of people's minds, doesn't it? That that yeah. it, it exists and there 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 needs to be a solution lovely yeah right well i think we're we're almost done i mean it's been fabulous talking to you however yeah. if people want to get in touch and want to know more um where can they go well they can visit us on our website or we have a facebook page or they can telephone us whatsapp us from anywhere in the world they can get hold of us through social media anywhere and Quite often, a lot of the expats' Facebook pages refer people to us or the members themselves refer people to us. And I think it's quite easy to find us on Facebook now. Okay, Hava, thank you so much for your contribution to this week's podcast. And uh, I'm sure Sarah and and everybody else uh, wishes you every success for the future. Thanks so much. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me and carry on with the podcasts. They're interesting. Oh, glad you like them. But that's great. All right. Thank you. Yeah, very I much. do. I do. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. If you want any more information, just go to the Expat Consultancy website. And it's, it's a, quite an easy address. It's expatsconsultancyservice.com. And there you'll get all the contact details, all the services that are on offer. And you can then decide, for instance, whether you'd like to receive a newsletter, which uh, have as mentioned during the, the course of this podcast. So if we just give that one thing out, expatsconsultancyservice.com. And uh, all the information uh, is there. 
do subscribe uh, if you can wherever you listen to our podcast um, we're on Facebook we're on Twitter and you can email us at trnc.podcast at gmail.com if you want to get in touch and discuss anything thank you very much indeed for listening I'm Sarah Palmer and I'm Roger Barra you've been listening to Talking Round North Cyprus